Hello, I'm Maria Titizian. And I'm Rubina Margosian, and welcome to the Week in Review for the week of November 19. Azerbaijan launches a large-scale offensive on Armenia's eastern border, leading to intense battles. A Russian-brokered ceasefire comes into effect five hours later. One day before the Azerbaijani attack, Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan sacks the defense minister. And the 29th Eurasian Intergovernmental Session of the Eurasian Economic Union kicks off in Yerevan. This week saw a large-scale Azerbaijani offensive on Armenia's eastern border in the southern Sunik region, the worst flare-up of hostilities since the end of the 2020 Artsakh War. The attack, which started at approximately 1 p.m., lasted for nearly five hours, after which a ceasefire was brokered by Russia's defense minister, Sergei Shoigu. Following the offensive, six Armenian soldiers were killed, another six wounded, while 13 servicemen were captured by Azerbaijani military and the fate of another 24 soldiers is still unknown. According to Azerbaijan, their side had seven casualties and 10 wounded. Uh, you know, Rubin, although these numbers are, are kind of tricky at the moment because the first day they said there was one uh, killed, 24 uh, missing 13 POWs and then news of another killed and and so these numbers might not be exact. So we don't know that the six that were killed were originally included in the 24 that are missing or not. So right. these numbers or are, they could well, be among the 13 that were captured. captured. We don't know this either. Um, just to make that clear, Security Council Secretary Armen Grigorian announced on Armenia's public television on the day of the attack that Armenia was appealing to Russia to take action based on the 1997 bilateral agreement on mutual assistance. However, later on, this announcement was not followed by a, a written appeal. Later that evening, during an emergency session of the Security Council, Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan provided a briefing of the situation. He said that since May of this year, when Azerbaijani forces launched an incursion into sovereign Armenian territory in the Sunik and Kerarkunik regions, where they continue to remain, Azerbaijan has been occupying 41 square kilometers of Armenian territory. The Prime minister said that following this latest attack, the Azerbaijanis were not able to gain more territory. And just for our listeners, if you do want more information, we did a podcast uh, on Wednesday with Datevik Hayrabedyan and Nerses Kopalyan, and we talked about the situation, and we gave you know a lot of information there if you do want. Uh, and this 41 kilometer squares is just one of the numbers that we can't decipher very well, because it's not clear if Armenia gained grounds and places and lost grounds and other places, or this is just changing hands all, all the time, or whatever positions we lost or gained during this recent escalation uh, war. So uh, it's we just know that overall there are Azerbaijani soldiers soldiers on 41 kilometers right. square. There's nothing uh, clear at the moment. Well, a day after the Azerbaijani attack, Russia's foreign ministry representative, Maria Zakharova, announced during a press conference that Russia urged Azerbaijan and Armenia to solve their issues through diplomatic and political means. This was followed by a remark by Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, stating that recent escalations showed that the conflict is still not resolved in the region, hence Russia's diplomatic role as a mediator is increasing. He also stated that Russia's peacekeeping mission is needed to ensure stability in the region. Following the November 16 hostilities, a number of international organizations and governments issued statements, um, like they always do, calling for an urgent de-escalation and a full ceasefire. Among them were the French Foreign Ministry, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, Deputy Spokesperson for the U.N. Secretary General, the EU Spokesperson, 
um, Charles Michel, who is the president of the European Council, and, and also many others. And in a joint statement, the European Parliament's chair of the Delegation for Relations with South Caucasus, the standing repertoires on Armenia and Azerbaijan, condemned any attempts at borderization as observed since the incursion of Azerbaijani troops into Armenian territory on May 12. On the very same day Azerbaijan launched its attack, Zakir Hasanov, Azerbaijan's defense minister, briefed his Turkish counterpart, Hulasi Akar, about the situation on the Armenia-Azerbaijan border. Akar said that Turkey will always stand by Azerbaijan. The day after the offensive on November 17, Armenia's foreign minister, Ararat Mirzoyan, invited representatives of foreign diplomatic missions to an emergency meeting. He briefed them on the details of the recent Azerbaijani attack and incursion into Armenia's territory, stating that Azerbaijan's recent actions are the result of the lack of proper condemnation by Armenia's partners and the international community with regard to Azerbaijan's aggression against Armenia. He added that the false equivalency in the statements of the international community has provided Azerbaijan with the incentive to continue its provocative behavior. And this is something we again talked about Wednesday during our podcast, so Mm -hmm. if our listeners are interested in learning more or listening to the analysis our guest had uh, maybe go back and listen to the podcast and um during the November 17th Parliament Q&A session, uh, Prime Minister Pashinyan told the legislature that there is no pro-Armenian or pro-Azerbaijani solution to the conflict, stating that Armenia has to choose between reaching a solution and not reaching one. Pashinyan was also asked to comment on the issues of the new POWs. The opposition I Have the Honor Alliance member, Dikran Abrahamian, remarked that based on video footage circulating in the media, some military positions were lost without any resistance from the Armenian side. In response, Pashinyan stated that the military code of conduct clearly specifies the circumstances under which a soldier uh, could potentially or could fall captive and not be in violation of the code of conduct, and cases when they fall captive as a result of non-compliance with the military code. Uh, as such, Pashinyan said that there should be an investigation looking into the circumstances of every single case of capture of Armenian servicemen. The Prime Minister noted that since May, Russia has made three demarcation and delimitation offers to Armenia and Azerbaijan, which were accepted by Armenia but rejected by Azerbaijan. The following day, uh, during the government session, Pashinyan stated that Russia presented a new offer about preliminary work for the demarcation and delimitation process, which is, again, acceptable for Armenia. On November 15, a day before the large-scale Azerbaijani offensive on Armenia's eastern border, Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan sacked Armenia's defense minister and appointed Deputy Prime Minister Suren Babigyan to the post. During a Security Council meeting the same day, the Prime Minister said he saw the necessity to replace the defense minister following analysis of increased tension on Armenia's specifically eastern border since November 14 and referenced the loss of a previously Armenian-held post in the area. And during the Q&A session in Parliament on the 17th, while refusing to provide further details about the reasons for the sacking of the former defense minister Arshab Karabetyan, citing security reasons, Pashinyan, however, emphasized that it is important the position of the defense minister be held by a member of the ruling political party, and this is to maintain clear communication and implementation of the government agenda. And Papikian was part of Pashinyan's revolutionary team. He was one of the closest people standing part next of his to inner circle. circle yes. mm-hmm. Well, again, to understand everything that's been taking place, uh, 
It's important to note that there were a number of incidents leading up to this attack on November 16. In the early morning hours of November 13, so three days earlier, an Armenian from Artsakh threw an explosive. At, you know, we're not sure if it was a grenade or if it was a Molotov cocktail. It was a cocktail. Molotov cocktail. That's what uh, media said. Yeah, on Azerbaijani soldiers that were stationed near the checkpoint of Shushi injuring three Azerbaijani servicemen. After the incident, the Stepanagir Perzor road, the Laching Corridor, as we call it, was closed temporarily, but it was later reopened following negotiations among you know, the three sides, Armenia, Azerbaijan, and Russia. The Artsakh citizen, who was later identified as a relative of the citizen killed by Azerbaijani soldiers near Shushi last week while he was repairing water pipelines. And during the incident, it's important to mention that three other citizens were also wounded. He was detained by Russian peacekeepers, but was later handed over to the uh, law enforcement of Artsakh. On November 15, Artsakh's ombudsman reported that the civilian was in a medical care facility and had not been detained or arrested. And on November 15, a day before the offensive, Azerbaijan placed a checkpoint on the Gapan Jagaden Road. Now, the village of Jagaden is just south of Gapan, uh, and a portion of that road, according to the Azerbaijanis, crosses into territory that is now under their control. This territory was formerly Artsakh. Armenia's National Security Service reported that while the Armenian side will also place a checkpoint near the Azerbaijani one. The new um, Azerbaijani checkpoint does not only cut off Jagaden, but also the connection between Gapan and five other villages, Srashen, Shigahor, Dzav, Shishkent, and Nerkinhand. In order to get to, to Gapan from Jagaden, for example, residents now have to cross 130 kilometers, while before it was only a 36-kilometer stretch, and the road is absolutely awful. You can't just take any car on that road. You have to take some, like an off-road car, so this is... Uh, the government's trying to respond to the situation. Two days later, on November 17, Armenia's health minister, Anahit Avanesian, said that residents of the six villages which have been cut off from Gapan as a result of the new Azerbaijani checkpoint do not face any medical emergency challenges. She stated that in order to provide medical services for the villages, the Norashenik Primary Health Care Center, which services the, uh, all of the six villages, will be equipped with a new medical vehicle, which can pass through difficult roads. Prime Minister Pashinyan announced during the government session on November 18 that 250 families in the six villages have been provided with fuel and financial assistance to, to buy fuel, but I don't I know. Mean, it's oh, not how a, this really it's addresses it's the not situation. A solution. I mean, it's a stopgap measure to, to to and they were even there was a I think it was an Azadutune reportage and they were they went with two Nevas into these villages and they were talking. They said, Yes, they're giving us bread and fuel and all of that. But it's just, uh, it's an unbelievable situation, unfortunately. As the National Security Service uh, reported, an alternative road linking the village of Jagaden to Gapan will be ready by the end of the year. Well, we're almost <laughs> at the end of the year. In total, seven new roads are being constructed, which are to link Gapan to its surrounding villages. Pashinyan stated that these roads are expected to be completed sometime in 2022. The annual meeting of the Security Council Secretaries of CIS member countries commenced in Moscow on November 17. Armen Grigorian, the Secretary of Armenia Security Council, spoke about the recent Azerbaijani offensive on Armenia's border, announcing that Azerbaijan does not observe the ceasefire regime and is not fulfilling its obligations under the November 9 and January 11 tripartite statements. He stated that Azerbaijan's recent actions are a violation against Armenia's territorial integrity and went on to say that Armenia is committed 
related to starting the delimitation and demarcation processes. However, it will respond to any aggression against its borders. During the conference, Armin Grigorian also met his Russian counterpart, Nikolai Patrushev. Grigorian told Patrushev that Azerbaijani armed forces have to leave Armenia's sovereign territory. Patrushev expressed hope that the situation will de-escalate on the Armenian-Azerbaijani border, stating Russia's readiness to assist Armenia and Azerbaijan in that delimitation and demarcation process. The 29th Eurasian Intergovernmental Session of the Eurasian Economic Union kicked off in Yerevan on November 19 with the participation of the Prime Ministers of Russia, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and the Chairman of the Board of the Eurasian Economic Commission. Issues concerning cooperation development in the fields of industry, agriculture, and healthcare uh, were discussed during the session. During his opening uh, speech, Pashinyan announced that the session was taking place on the backdrop of border aggressions against Armenia when the country is facing major security challenges. He stated that Armenia was pulled into yet another border crisis by Azerbaijan, the provocative actions of which are aimed at violating Armenia's territorial integrity and undermining the agreements that we keep talking about, or the statements rather, of November 9 and January 11. And search operations of bodies of soldiers killed during the 44-day war uh, have stopped since October 18. Artsakh State Service of Emergency Situations reported on November 15 that it is negotiating with all parties involved to resume the search operations. And Armenia's Minister of Labor and Social Affairs, Nadek Megarchan, announced during the Parliament Q&A session that the total number of casualties of the 2020 Artsakh War is 3,788, 76 of which are civilians. There are still 222 servicemen and 21 civilians that are missing, and currently there are 37 POWs and three civilian hostages in Azerbaijani captivity. After the war, 114 servicemen and civilians have been returned to Armenia. In other news, on November 15, the European Union and Armenia signed a common aviation area agreement. This agreement is intended to allow gradual market opening between the EU and its neighbors alongside regulatory convergence through the gradual implementation of EU aviation rules. The statement posted by the European Commission on the occasion reads that benefits include uh, new air transport opportunities, more direct connections, and economic benefits to both sides. In particular, all EU airlines will now be able to operate direct flights from anywhere in the EU to any airport in Armenia and vice versa. Armenia's Minister of Foreign Affairs, Ayat Mirsoyan, announced during the signing ceremony that the implementation of the agreement in the near future will create new opportunities for the development of Armenia's aviation sector, making the connection to the other European countries easier for Armenian citizens. He also said that the agreement will be instrumental in promoting trade, tourism, investments, and economic and social development in general, as well as it will boost people-to-people contact and provide increased opportunities for bigger mobility. And in 2022, four local airlines will operate flights from Armenia. These are Armenia Air Company, Armenia Airways, Fly One Armenia, Fly Arna. It's going to be very confusing when (laughs) when you're using these airlines. On November 17, during the 41st session of the UNESCO General Conference in Paris, Armenia was elected to the UNESCO Executive Board for the first time since its accession to the organization back in 1992. Four countries were nominated for the three positions allocated. They were Armenia, Lithuania, Ukraine, and Azerbaijan. Armenia um, got the highest votes with 146 during the closed voting. 
And the UNESCO Executive Board consists of 58 members and is the second most important body of UNESCO after the General Assembly. The role of the Executive Board is to implement decisions adopted by the General Assembly. The term of the office for members is four years. Last week, municipal elections were held in several communities in Armenia, including Gapan, Ichevan, and Stepanavan. The ruling civil contract party won in Pashinyan's hometown of Ichevan and also in Stepanavan, while in Sunik's regional center, Gapan, the Shant Alliance of the incumbent mayor, Gevork Barsian, prevailed over the ruling party with 70% of the votes. Civil contract had lost elections in Sunik's Goris and Meghri communities um, during the October 17 election, and an even bigger round of municipal elections are slated for December 5, and Harut Manugyan, who is our elections expert, is already <laughs> getting ready to write about that. It, it will be an important um vote on December 5. And now for our weekly COVID update. The number of daily infections has fallen to less than 1,000, while the number of total infections has fallen from 30,000 to a little over 22,000 in Armenia. However, daily deaths still remain high with 275 total deaths in the last seven days. And over 680,000 people have received the first dose of their vaccines in Armenia, while over 320,000 people are already fully vaccinated. That's the kind of week it's been here in Armenia. And just before we go, we do want to remind you that you can follow our podcast on other platforms. Obviously, you can follow it through our website site, uh, but iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and all, and other platforms as well. Thank you for listening. Have a good week. Um, hopefully we'll have a peaceful weekend, and we will be back again uh, next Friday with better news, hopefully. Mm-hmm.